You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined alongside Shotgun Spratling. We're back. We're back with another episode of the podcast. We apologize. It's my fault. <laughs> Shotgun was going to blame it on me whether or not it was my fault, but it was my fault. I am just under the weather. It's not good. At, at this point of my health journey, I think they think I have a bacterial infection in my small intestine, which is fun stuff. Oh, yum. That yeah. just sounds fun. So fun. Liquid diets are, are pretty boring and sad. I'm starving all the time. So fun stuff for me. Stock yeah. down for Keely in general. <laughs> yeah. You know what you should do is just not get sick. You know... If I could, I would. It's worked for me for several years now. No, what's worked for you is that you just don't go to the doctor. When you don't know, you don't know. Hey, if you don't go to the doctor, nothing's ever wrong with you, right? True. Sure. I can't tell you that anything's wrong with you. I mean, I could be dying of 17 diseases, but I don't know it. So yeah. therefore, I'm fine. Sure. That's whatever works. <laughs> I haven't been to the doctor in at least 11 years. That's insane. If there's doctors out here listening to the podcast, they're probably cringing. <laughs> Cringing at that. That was the last time I saw a doctor. I have no clue the last time I actually went to a doctor. Physical. They came to school for baseball. Oh. Last time I saw a doctor. Shotgun, health is important. Take care of it. Okay. Didn't date any doctors or anything, unfortunately. <laughs> I feel like that'd be really convenient. Either way. Okay. Yeah. Otherwise, let's just go, uh, get going. On to the podcast. The actual podcast. But as a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Audio Boom. You can also email us questions and submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. Thanks to everyone who emailed us. We got people who emailed us during uh, for the Utah podcast, but of course we didn't get to it. So thanks to you guys for, for emailing us. I hope that some of the questions were, what, where's the podcast and why is Keely not on this thing? I think that's what they should have been asking. Uh, all of our uh, spam fans were definitely sad about Ooh, the podcast. Nigerian princesses. It's true. Uh, USC is now 4-3 and three after a pretty much blowout loss to Utah. It's a deceiving score, 41-28, uh, but it was not a good showing in Salt Lake City. Um, if we had done the podcast, I know this is revisionist history, but I just didn't think USC's offensive line, uh, offense in general, can be consistent enough against a, a tough Utah uh, defense and D-line. So revisionist history, of course. That's what I would have said. But it, yeah, it, sure. <laughs> it wasn't a good showing at all for USC. Chuck, uh, you just want to get into... offense, I mean... True. They, they had, what, two short fields. The defense scored a touchdown. I mean, they got 28 points, but... No, they had two short field, defense scored a touchdown, and a short field at the 50 rather than inside the 20. They only scored on one of the inside the 20s, uh, failed on the fourth down the other time. But with that, you would think, okay, if they get one or two drives, they're putting up at least 42 points. Instead, they got 28. Yeah, it, w- it was just... Like- they didn't have those one or two drives. No, it was not good at all. I mean, I I think the last play of the first half was six plays. Before that, it was three and out, three and out, three and out. And if not, they got help from... Um, oh, the last drive of the first time? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was just not good. I mean, I don't... If you heard the emergency podcast, I already said this, but I don't place this on the defense um, as, as as much as I place it on the offense because the defense was out there for so long. You just... there's At some point, you're going to break. And, you, and, I mean, the perfect example is, is Christian Rector. He's played uh, 92 plays, a career... Uh, one, one less shot. of his career high. Uh, 17 plays on special teams. He actually asked uh, John Baxter to be taken off uh, special teams when he gets tired. So it's just, it's it's rough for your defense when you put him out there as long as you did. And USC's offense just couldn't get anything going. I mean, Chaka, what do you think of T. Martin? His big uh, uh, spiel after the game was they played much more cover two than we were expecting. What do you take from that type of almost excuse? Well, he, he said this week, I asked him, you know, after watching the tape, what, what did you see? And he, he said, we've got to run the ball. We've got to be able to run the ball when they're six in the box, which is when they're in cover two. Uh, you know, when those safeties are back, we've got to do a better job. So he admitted that on, on Tuesday when I talked to him. He said there are a lot of physical beats and things of that nature, but we've got to make our plays. You know, if, they, if they've got four down uh, guys down in the, in, on the line, then we have to play, have our, you know, our four down beaters, as he called them. You know, we've got to be able to beat that. We have to have certain plays that can do that. So I think he took some of the blame there for that. I think the offensive line is where the issue is. You know, when you when you don't get out and block people, then you're not going to be able to run the ball. Uh, Neil Callaway 
did not really say much when I, I tried to talk to him uh, about that. We'll talk about that in a bit. But, you know, they, they just did not were not successful running the ball. And when you're not successful running the ball with a freshman quarterback, there's going to be trouble. And you saw it against in the Texas game. They scored 34 straight points because the offense couldn't get anything going because they couldn't run the ball. Well, Utah scores 34 straight points because USC can't run the ball and can't get the offense going. Their first seven drives, as you alluded to, their first seven drives were three plays each. Now, one of those was a touchdown. One of those was an interception on third down, which is technically, I guess it's technically still a three now. I don't even know how that exactly is measured. Yeah. When you intercept the third uh, third pass. But so their first seven drives of the game, that's pretty bad. Um, and now one of those, they had a short field and they threw a, four, a 34-yard pass to Michael Pittman. He went up over two guys, made the catch for which a touchdown. should have been an interception. Well, it could have been a lot. The thing, it, it shouldn't have been anything. <laughs> Because there were just a lot of things that could have happened in it. I mean, you had a high snap, so you could have had a fumble snap. Good job by JT to go up and get the ball. Yeah. Then you had, you know, a play action, and the guy doesn't. Uh, the defense lineman goes through, breaks through the line, does not bite on it at all, and it comes straight at JT. JT again does a nice job eluding the pressure. He throws it up. Now, when he throws it up out there, normally Michael Pittman is the biggest guy out there. He's you know head and shoulders above any of those DBs that are out there. But Utah's got a six one cornerback and Jalen Johnson, and their safety I believe was six two or six three as well. So it wasn't like he was going up against some five ten guys. It wasn't True. you know a Jenna Harrison and uh, Greg Johnson. He was jumping over and nothing against those guys. They got great athleticism, but you know six one is much different than five ten or five nine. Uh, and Michael Pittman goes up over both of them, catches the ball, and pulls it down. So give a lot of credit to him for that touchdown. And, you know, that was on a short field because that's the third drive of the game. And Utah already felt like we can go for it anytime we want because our defense is going to get a stop. They didn't on that drive, but they, you know, they went for it a couple times on fourth down in kind of questionable areas. And, you know, they knew that their defense would, would take care of it. They, USC won the special teams uh, battle in this, which is completely unexpected because yeah. of how good Utah is. Uh, nothing against the USC special teams, but Utah has been, you know, head and shoulders above the rest of the Pac-12 for you know Years. several seasons under Kyle Whittingham. So it's very surprising that it. But that's kind of been the trend. Like Utah's very first Pac-12 game, if you remember, if you remember back that far, their very first Pac-12 game was against USC. USC blocks the kick, potential. I don't remember if it's game tying or game winning kick. What year is this? Uh, I'm terrible with the years. 2010 or 11, somewhere okay. in there. Torrin Harris picks up the ball, takes it back the distance. And there was a big confusion because no one, because people ran on the field. No one knew if the, the touchdown counted or not. And it flipped the spread. So this became a big thing because the referees, it was like 10 minutes later, the referees said, yeah, it's a touchdown. And some of the some of the uh, the bookies had already in Vegas had already paid out like wow. for the, I think so we talked about this before on this podcast. So it was a really big like controversial thing that they had changed it. And of course, it's Pac-12 refs. What do you expect? <laughs> Their first game truly as Pac-12 refs. Oh, that yeah. was the that oh was, oh wow. That yeah, was the well orientation done. really right there. But True. but USC in that game they blocked that field goal to you know to to lock up the victory in that one. So you know, USC has, has been able to find ways to beat Utah and special teams in the past. Um, so, you know, this was kind of following that trend to an extent, but it was, you know, kind of unexpected, but they still even winning the special teams battle, getting turnovers there. They weren't able to do enough to win this game because the offense couldn't get going. Yeah. And that's the thing that's so frustrating is this is a game where any other type of offensive output that USC had, even just a, a hair more, a tad more, could have won the game. They were up fourteen to to zero at one point. You know, it wasn't like this was it was over from the start. They they had a lead. You know, so it's just it's it's just unexplainable. This offense is just too talented for it to be as underperforming as it is. Um, but to transition into our main portion, stock up. Uh, we already talked about him, Michael Pittman. I think he's done a great job so far. It's almost like a light has come on over the past couple of games. Um, he seems healthy too. And I know Pittman has struggled throughout his USC career basically with being healthy while being a starter. Um, so it's just, he's just, uh, beast mode. He's been beasting out there. And, and part of it too is that USC's wide receivers haven't been really getting separation of this past couple of games. And so Pittman is a guy who you can kind of just like the touchdown, lob it up there and, and hope he makes a play. And he's been making those plays for USC. And, um, he's just been, been a definite bright spot on a, on an offense that doesn't have a lot of bright spots. Yeah. He's been getting behind DBs at times. I mean, I, I haven't seen exactly on that play if he was behind the guys. Uh, I think he was initially, and then you know the throw was underthrown. Obviously, came back and made the catch. 
I mean, he's played really well these last few games, but he's also he could have had two more touchdowns. He was just barely that that much of a or three more touchdowns actually. He had the two catches, uh, the one right before halftime at Washington State that was called out of bounds, uh, the one at Arizona where he's, he lands just out of bounds, you know, uh, right outside the pylon, and then in this game his second long catch, you know, he steps out of bounds. The referee was right on it, so I, you know, I think his his heel did touch the the uh, boundary there. But he's, you know, less than an inch away from running down the sideline and getting another long touchdown. So, you know, he has been, like you said, he's been beast mode the last few games, but not just receiving. He goes and does it on special teams, blocks the punt. And um, Mitch Wisnowski, I believe his name was. I can't remember his name. That, that, might, be a, that might be a Monsters, Inc. character. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> Mike Wisnowski? Yeah, I might be combining those a little bit. But their, their punter, uh, Utah, had never had a, a, a punt blocked. And he was he was. PO'd on the <laughs> wow. sideline. He took it, you know, after that punt was blocked, he goes and slams his helmet down. And, you know, he was not very happy with that. And USC came a little bit, uh, came close on another one. Uh, Jake Russell actually came close to getting one on a different punt. So, you know, give John Baxter credit. You know, I, I did definitely, I think they're on my stock up special teams. You know, they played really well the last couple of games. Uh, you haven't seen the lapses that were, you know, causing so much issues early in the season and all of last season, really. Not a lot of turn, I mean, not a lot of penalties even, you know, They've had a couple, but but not like you know, not like that. You that Notre Dame game last year, there were nine or ten penalties on special teams. You know, they played really clean, and they're making a difference now. You know, now they're not they haven't had big returns or anything. But if you block a you block a punt, you know, they recover a muff punt. You know, they're doing things that that help out positively. Michael Brown did miss a field goal this game, but he's been you know stellar for them coming in as their backup kicker. So I think the special teams are playing really well the last few games. Yeah, and it's unfortunate when you set up your team, your offense in the in the red zone twice. And and they can only come away with it once. It's just it's it's any that's what I'm saying. Any other game, the special teams had the performance that they did. It would just be the first thing on stock up, and it's unfortunate that that's not the case. Yeah, I mean, if you have it, like I said, a couple of offensive drives. I mean, even if you had the explosive plays that you had in some of those other games, you didn't have you know true drives. But you know, like you did in the Colorado game, where you have a couple explosive plays, and yeah. it, you know, trying to change the tide. So give credit to Utah for playing cover two and thinking that they can you know stop the run with six guys in the box to give them that extra safety help over the top so USC couldn't get those long balls. So great game plan by them. And because their front six is really good, their front seven, you know, they were able to, you know, able to stop USC and keep them from you know running the ball without putting any extra guys in there and being able to keep extra guys over the top to keep USC from from going deep. Yeah, I'd suck up on Jay Tefele. Uh, nice. I love me a scoop and score, and I love me a big man touchdown. And you combine those two, and it's just exciting. I, it was so fun. <laughs> I just, just not that I was necessarily rooting for USC in that sense, but it's just so fun to see a three hundred pound dude just like outrunning people towards the towards the touchdown. It was just I'm it, previewed to heard it on the sideline. The whole team was freaking out when he uh, got into the end zone. It was it was a fun time had by all, uh, but he's really just improved. I mean. If you remember, he redshirted last year, so this is his first real season, um, and I feel like he's progressed throughout each game. He's really been a bright spot on USC's defensive line, and those are guys who have been injured and maybe not playing up to the full potential, and JT Fale is one of those guys who has and um, and really is looking good each game. Yeah, and, and you know... <laughs> He scoops, he scores, he scoops. He, he looks like a running back running the ball, not a big hefty running back, but like he had the full form and everything yep. going. He, you know, he was chugging down the sideline. There was no stopping him. I give Hunter Eccles credit on that and yep. John Houston. Yep. A really well timed blitz by John Houston coming inside. And then John, uh, Hunter Eccles goes around the outside and they kind of meet at the quarterback as Tyler Huntley tries to escape out of the pocket, you know, kind of knock that ball away and it pops up and. You know, that's a big man's dream. You see that ball bouncing and it bounces up into your arms where you can just pick it up and go. And he and he takes it all the way. And then he gets he gets the uh what are we calling it? The turnover, turnover robe? robe? Is that yeah. what we're gonna call it? It's low energy. Turnover robe. It looked like a blanket from my point of view. No, uh, it looked like I mean it has the it has the uh you know the USC whatever around the edges and stuff. Really? They're, they're, Interesting. Uh, they're specific I can't like think of like their little uh, pattern. Print? Yeah. Yeah, the print that they normally have. So it had that around that gold robe. Uh, but that kind of tells you, you know, the the lack of turnovers this season. We haven't seen it before. Now maybe it's because Jene Harris, when he gets a pick six against Colorado, he's right back on the field. Like uh, you know, thirty seconds later, True. he didn't have time to sit down and get a robe put on his shoulders or anything. But interesting 
thing that USC, I don't, maybe there's something new. Who knows? But uh, So it was cool to see that they had something there. And like you said, the entire team did was super pumped about that. Up 14 nothing at that time. What could go wrong? Oh. oh. <laughs> I've got Dominic Davis on my stock up. That's true. Dominic Davis played for the first time since 2016, actually, the Notre Dame game in 2016. He redshirted last year. He has not played at all this season. Uh, he was in there on special teams this year, I mean, uh, last week. Not not that he played a ton of plays or anything. I mean, he played a handful, but just to see him get back out there. I mean, a guy that's been that stayed in the system, didn't transfer, and you know he's had opportunities. He could have went somewhere else, but you know he stayed with the with the program and continued to work. And for him to get in there and, and play a couple of plays was good to see. True. And I also had, uh, by way of injury slash, he's a stud, Palaie Nayoteote. Uh, he stuck up for him just because, uh, Cam Smith was essentially, uh, ruled out for Saturday because of his knee slash hamstring in- injury. It looks like it's more of a knee issue. Um, had to he, get that knee drained, actually, he got which is knee, never a good thing. Yeah, he had his knee drained um, and got some some injections. I also heard that he uh, got an MRI on his knee, so that's something that has been plaguing him more so than the hamstring, I was told. So that's just not good for Cam Smith. It's a preview of Stockdown, but Stockdown for, for Cam Smith as well, just because that's your leading tackler. And, and his senior season, he, he really wanted to be out there on the field this season just to be an All-American and, and really make an impact. And when you're injured, you can't really do that. So stock, up, stock down for Cam Smith, but also stock up for for Palaie because he feels like he's really comfortable in the defense now he feels with a couple of games underneath his belt he's comfortable um and he's playing well he's just all over the field and it's it's exciting if it's hard to, it's hard not to get uh tunnel vision no pun intended to our live show but tunnel vision of this season and what this means in the record but in the future you have JT Daniels you have Palaie you have some studs on 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 as far as talent goes, so for USC going forward, that's a this is a good sign. You know what I found really interesting? What when Palier, when Cameron Smith, so Cameron Smith played the first three drives of the game mm-hmm. sparingly. He came in when USC went to its nickel package. So usually you would think you know Cameron Smith is a guy that you want in the box. He's going to make tackles. Instead, when they went to you know with with an extra DB and a, and less lineman, that's when he came in. So USC used their base alignment, their three down alignment, more than they have in any other game this year. Probably more than they did combined the rest of the season. Actually, uh, they used it more than they did their nickel this game. Uh, Jenny Harris played, you know, who is their nickel back? Played thirty one plays out of the you know eighty one offensive snaps that um, that Utah had. So they also had one goal line play. They used a different formation. They have previously in the last four years uh so it's a little bit different just something that clancy decided to put together but i thought it was really interesting that cam smith came in for the nickel package versus palier being in for and he came in for palier but being in instead of in the base uh so i was just kind of interesting you know cam smith's last play was actually jay defile's touchdown oh he actually if you watch the replay he's running behind him kind of kind of jogging behind him interesting um anything else for stock yeah I got GIF usage. Oh, it's GIF, but yes. GIF, GIF, whatever. I like peanut butter. I'm going to go with GIF. Okay. Uh, so anyway, GIF usage, GIF usage, because some of the things I've tweeted in the last, in the last I don't know, four or five days since the game, the responses in, in GIF forum have been just quite clever and, and have been very humorous as well for some of them. So, you know, I, I tweeted about Clay Helton saying that, uh, you know, that they were going to practice a little bit less and, and focus on film on Monday. And there were a lot uh, of uh, GIFs used there that were were unique and, and fun. Uh, yeah, I it's if you haven't go through that thread, it's hilarious. I think the gift game in general has been really picked up. I think people are a, a kind of a loss for words and now just resorting to gifts, which it's understandable after performance like Utah, but uh, that actually transitions well into stock down. I had stock down for morale. I think morale of fans. I think this is a hard uh, four and three. It's hard to come around this team when on Saturdays they don't really give you enough to root for. I think the players do in a way, but I think the coaching staff makes it hard for fans to root for this team. I think after Utah... And I think before, I know you tweeted about this staff is a staff that can't win a national championship. And a lot of people were like, thanks, we already knew that. And it's like, of course, sure, you negative Nancys. But I think it's clear to see now that this is not a a coaching staff that can get you where USC fans want them to be. So just morale is down in that sense. And and maybe this team can run the table. We'll talk about it later because I'm going to ask you. But 
It just doesn't seem right now, the, the fork in the road of where this team can go, and it doesn't seem very positive. Yeah, stock down, morale down is what it seems like. Ooh, Hand down, morale down. Blackhawk down or something of that nature. <laughs> Yeah, I, I got um, you know, coach speak actually is stocked down. That's stock up though. No, it's getting more. No, it's not even coach speak anymore because now they they've gone away from some of the you know the the tried and true things and they're saying stuff like, yeah, we're not going to practice. Uh, we're not practicing as much. Clay Helton said earlier this week. I asked him you know about the run game. He gave the same answer they did on sun, in the Sunday conference. So I said, well, he he basically said that that. They got beat too many many times in the one on one battles. I said, "Well, how do you you know get better in the one on one battles?" He said that on Monday they were hypercritical of the tape. You know they're focusing on the fundamentals, the techniques, and said that they spent more time watching video to be hypercritical of that than on the practice field. Uh, they took time away from practice to spend more time on the on the the film. And I just tweeted that out without any comment and. There were a lot of comments and, and uh, gifts used to to uh, elaborate their their feelings of it, but I think it's gone away from you know we're we're just we're going to work on this or whatever and like it's gone to different things like I just I just don't feel like they have the answers anymore and they're not even trying to give the same tried and true answers anymore they're just going with whatever's coming to the mind. Can we talk about that? Like, why is your response as a coach? Let's be on the field less. Like, why is that the response? I don't know. I really don't. I mean, it it seems like the obvious thing seems if you're not being physical, particularly in the run game, that the best way to do that is for those guys to be more physical in practice, to practice that way, to to continue to work at it. Instead, they wanted to focus. Now, I understand focusing on the technique, but I think you take time away from special teams or something to do that. Get, you know, the the offensive line do special teams first, whatever you can do without the offensive line. Bring those guys in later. I think they know what they have to do on on special teams. You know the guys that are in there. And you save the field goal kicking and stuff to the very end. And the the offensive line doesn't come out for the first twenty minutes or thirty minutes or whatever practice. But then when they do come out, they work on technique and stuff. They take away time away from somewhere else, not practicing that you know the physicality that they need to be practicing out there. Yeah, I I don't understand that, and especially now that we're barreling towards. No pads November, which we all still think is going to happen. So if you're holding your breath, you might start breathing now because <gasps> it's just not going to happen. And it's and you saw that. You saw on the defense uh, tackling issues. They couldn't really wrap up. Someone tweeted me during the game, this looks like it would be fine if it was thud. And it kind of looked like that. We were expecting. When did those <sighs> issues start happening, though? I think it was fatigue and also altitude. Sure. I think so, but I think you also saw it at the beginning of the game. I don't mean... I think so. And and like I said, it, in both podcasts, I don't blame this on the defense. It's hard to have good technique when you're tired. But at the same time, it still wasn't great. After I mean, they gave up 17 yards in the first play, but then Marvell Tell hit somebody and they fumbled the ball. He wasn't touched until then. I just, I just, It wasn't a clean game tackling. I don't think you can argue that. It's not an arguable issue. I can argue whatever I want. Well, thanks. <laughs> Welcome to the Family Feud podcast. But like, I just don't think it wasn't good. And what I'm not saying that this whole defense is horrible and scrap everything, start over. No, I'm just saying that was you could see that. Sure, if it's fatigue, but maybe then you should condition more. I mean, I think part of it was the altitude, and I think the fact that they were injured at certain positions. I like Christian Rector having to play as many snaps as he did. Uh, John Houston. I mean, John Houston, you could have put Levi Jones in a little bit more. Levi Jones played a handful of plays. I would have got him in there a couple a couple more plays. But Talanoa was one of the guys that missed some tackles. Like, are you going to put C.J. Pollard in there a little bit more? I mean, he played three snaps. You could throw him in there, I guess, a little bit more. Marvell Tell missed a couple of tackles. Yeah, I think it's on the it's more the positions where you don't have backups. Jordan Iacefa missed two tackles. This is according to Pro Football Focus is is a, a missed tackle tally. They had USC missing sixteen tackles. Three of those: John Houston, two Talanoa, two Marvell Tell, two Iacefa, two Christian Rector. I think all those guys played a lot of snaps. All those guys played at least 64 snaps, and some of them as many as 80 for uh, or 83, I mean, for Marvell Tell. Um, and that's just on defense. That doesn't count their special team snaps as well. Um, so 
you know, I, I think it was those were the guys that were more apt to miss those tackles were the guys that were, you know, out there for forever. Sure, sure. And and like I said, this is not a hill that I'm going to die on that, like, uh, how dare the defense be tired and, and, and miss tackles. But I just think it was an issue during the game. I don't think that is an argument, even though you want to make it one. I just don't think it was. I just think that the, the places where they miss tackles were areas where they're very thin on depth right now. Sure. Touche. But... To my overall point, why is there a need to take back from practice rather than work on what you need, you know, needs working on? That's a, that's a million dollar question, I guess. And I mean, I we, guess that's why they get paid millions of dollars because I don't have the answer to that question. True, sure. But I mean, even USC's offensive line, like we see them do a lot of pass blocking. Like they, they go against the first team defense and they do a lot of pass blocking. Where do we see them really execute run blocking? When they do team run period, is it? It's not normally ones on ones. It's no. usually ones on twos, right? Ones or is on it twos. ones on? Yeah, ones on twos. And they then, haven't done ones on ones since. And then when they go into scout team, it's obviously ones on scout team guys. And then we didn't even see team period on Tuesday. Tuesday. So that that period disappeared at the end of practice. And that's the one time that Jack Sears is going to have full pads hmm, team period. That seems like it'd be a good time to put him out there if he's going to start this weekend, right? Maybe. Yeah, because I got stocked down quarterback health as well. True. Because you got JT Daniels has left the game with a concussion. Uh, you know, he, or at least he was in concussion protocol. And Matt Fink played uh, the last couple of series on the last series. He actually got hit on a scramble in the ribs and broke three ribs, but he continued to play. A lot of credit there. Tough um, kid. Continue to play. He's like, this is my one opportunity. I'm getting out there and doing what I can. And he led USC on uh, you know two scoring drives. Uh, so he did as much as he could for for USC, yeah. but he's going to be out three to four weeks, I think Clay said. So now it's up to Jack Sears. It could fall to him. We'll see if JT Daniels is cleared of concussion protocol, um, if he's cleared to play on Saturday early. You know, I, I think the game being early doesn't help either. I think that would be one extra chance for him to pass testing and stuff early uh, on Saturday that he could potentially get in versus you know it being a night game or something. But we'll see. I, I think – if Jack Sears has to play, don't you think you'd want to get him as many reps as possible? Not take reps away on Monday to do more film study, not take away the team period on Tuesday. It seems like common sense, right? I, maybe they got a really good virtual program. I don't I got <laughs> I got no feature. answer to that one. Like it seems so common sense that you wouldn't think anything else. So I can't even think of an answer why it would happen. Yeah, I, I I honestly don't know. And that's what I said on the emergency podcast. Like these guys live it and breathe it more than we do. And we breathe it and live it a lot. And and we can see it, fans can see it. And so why why is there this opposite reaction? I just don't understand. I ain't got the answer to that one. Nope. I you had stopped down on the Pac twelve South race. Um USC <laughs> no longer as far as Coach Beat goes, they no longer control their own destiny. They're tied with Colorado and Utah. Destiny! Destiny, I can't control you anymore! (laughs) I don't know where that came from. Is Destiny even controllable? Like, that's what Destiny is. It's an oxymoron. Mm, I thought fate is not controllable. Destiny is. I don't know. Destiny's child. That's all I know. Oh, my God. (laughs) Gotta get a Beyonce reference in there somehow. Uh, So... Where's my rolling eye emoji? He's he's face palming right now. Uh, So shotgun, not shotgun. The the USC is tied with Utah and Colorado. Of course, they have the head-to-head with Colorado. They don't with Utah. But now, uh, Clay Clay Hilton hasn't said it yet, but his favorite phrase is, every game is a playoff game. But that's essentially what it is right now. Hadn't he said that already? I think he said that already. Maybe, but now his thing now is it's ultra important. Oh, he said it would be ultra important. This game is ultra important this week. Yeah, it is. Could be ultra important for his job status in the future. Could be ultra important for the Pac-12 race. Could be ultra important for the rest of the season because suddenly that offensive line plays better. Who knows? <laughs> I also have uh, stocked down JT to the Amon Ra connection. Yeah. Uh, JT Daniels, was, USC's offense was 0 of 10 when JT Daniels was in the game before he had to leave with the injury. Um, he tried five of those times to throw the ball to Amon Ra and St. Brown, and unfortunately the high school teammates could not hook up on any of those. He was 0 for 4 with an interception uh, in that one. He just Amon Ra has not been able to get going the last couple of games, so uh, you know I think teams are keying on him. 
I think they've seen what USC has done. They're keying on him more, and you know he's not able to. You know, get they're not going to leave him open uh, to guard one of the outside guys. So I think the outside guys have to do a little more damage, and then I think that opens up. I think it's you know one of those those team things. Everyone's got to participate for everyone to be successful. True. That was actually Amonra's first uh, catchless game. So wow. So after having seven catches the first game, you know nine catches for 167 yards against Texas. He has had 11 catches in the last four games after having nine for 167. So you know, his best output was five for 54 against Arizona. He got in the end zone once against Washington State. But it just teams are keying on him now. USC's got to find a way to, to get him open and do some different things so that they can get him back a prominent part of the offense as well. We both have stock down for uh, USC's offensive line in their run game. You wrote an article on this shotgun, so I'm going to let you take the, take the lead. So I wrote about USC's run game. I, I tried to talk to Neil Calloway this week. Um, you know, he, he's not always the most talkative person, um, but I asked him about why they weren't having success, and he didn't agree with me necessarily. He said, "Well, we've had some success. We obviously haven't won every battle, but we've had success." I don't know where they're having success at. I now I don't know if he's referencing if they ran for over 100 yards. Um, or over 200 yards, I think, against UNLV. They ran for like 234 against Arizona. Maybe that's what he's referencing. But overall, they're not having success. They're one of the worst teams in the country, you know, a power five at rushing, running the ball right now. Their advanced statistics are bad. They're all in the one, 100s. There's 129 teams in FBS. USC's numbers are all in the 100s in the advanced statistics. You look at the you know your baseline your regular statistics you'll see on a broadcast you know they're rushing yards per game one sixteen point nine that's a hundred and sixteenth I think or no it's a hundred and third or something it's above one hundred you look at their yards per carry three point seven that's above one hundred I looked you know and I asked him I said well what do you determine as success then he said you know when I grade the film watch them play and see how they do good or bad didn't really answer the question there. So I asked, are you still having success despite not being able to run the ball? He said, well, we had some good runs. You know, sometimes we got beat at the line of scrimmage, the point of attack. We had some good runs. I don't know where those good runs are. Because if we're talking about the Utah game, they had four runs of more than five yards. Their best run was a 12-yard run. It was the final offensive play of the game. They were down 20 points. Vi uh, got outside and ran for a touchdown. Okay, that's a solid run. That's their only double-digit run of the game, though. They averaged two point seven yards per two point nine yards per carry in the game. Uh, they they had five runs for negative yardage. I'm not counting sacks. I'm not counting scrambles. I'm just talking about the design run plays. They did not run the ball well, and yet Neil Callaway told me that they had some good runs and they've had some success. I don't understand it. I don't understand it either. Another it, thing that we're confused by. <laughs> so much so much confusion. I mean, I was going to ask you if you are. Neil Callaway, if you're your T. Martin, if you're Clay Helton, how, what do you do at this point in the season to fix the run game? To me, I don't understand why they don't at least try to have some rotation, try someone else, get get something in there. I mean, the the one thing is when you've seen guys come in, when Jalen McKenzie came in against Arizona, when you know when when some of the backups have come in, they haven't been as good as the the starters. That's true, but at some point, you feel like. Even in a game, it's like even if it's just for a series, like and grabbing somebody by the collar and saying, "No, you're out. You're not getting the job done. You're out." And that simple thing to to try to motivate somebody, try to fire somebody up. Maybe nobody on this team takes that type of motivation right. Maybe they're all, um, maybe they're all going to be Donald Faison's character uh, in in Remember the Titans. I can't think of his name. Petey. Maybe they're all going to be Petey, and they, you know, if you say something negative to them, they're just going to shut down. They're not going to play. Maybe that's the entire offensive line, the entire 16 guys they have or whatever. I don't know, but it seems like you would try something different at some point. It's just They're just not getting the job done running the ball. Now, I give them credit. I give them credit. They have been much better in pass protection. They're, they're actually ranked as one of the best pass uh, protection efficiency teams in the country. They're in the top 15 or so, uh, at least going into the uh, Utah game. I don't think they would have slipped on that. I haven't looked up that, that stat recently. But they've been really well, good protecting the passer in the last you know three or four weeks. They had some trouble early in the season with miscommunications and guy free runners coming uh, you know, with long stunts against Stanford, with the, the slants and different things of Texas. 
But they've cleaned that up. They've done a good, nice job. Neil Calloway and that group have done a nice job since that point, I guess since the Texas game, uh, of protecting the quarterback. They've done better than Washington State, uh, the uh, Arizona, Colorado, this game. I think they've given up two sacks or less in all four of those games, I want to say. Um, you know, they, They've been much better in that regard. But the run game is crucial to this team's success, especially, especially – with a freshman quarterback yeah, or a first-time starter in Matt Fink or a first-time starter in Jack Sears. None of those guys have experience. There's no true experience there. They need the run game. They need it. I want it. <laughs> got to have it. I need o- it. Oscar performance. Yeah, they got to have the run game to support them. Because then that opens up the play action. That opens up. That brings the safeties down. That that gives you more passing lanes. It it does so much for this offense. If only they could get the running game going. And right now it's just not getting done. They've tried some different things. This past game, I saw Austin Jackson actually pulling for the first time this season. So you know, so your left tackle is getting out of pulling. They you know uh, they focused on that more in the Arizona game. You saw Toa Lobendon pulling. So they've done different things. They've tried different things. And, you know, after watching the Colorado game, you say, well, maybe we'll try Austin Jackson pulling because at least one of the plays, he got destroyed and blows up a play that was coming his direction. Uh, and, you know, the, the entire play gets blown up because he got pushed back on a run play. Your guys should be going forward on run plays. And you see too many, way too many times. Anytime you see an unsuccessful run play for USC, anytime it's stopped for a zero or a negative yard gain, pause it. Pause it. I bet you you'll see at least one or two linemen who aren't, Blocking anyone at the point of attack, at the point of, not at the point of attack, excuse me, the point of the tackle. When the running back is getting tackled, I bet you you see at least one or two linemen there actually looking back towards the pocket. Just standing there. Where, where they've tried to block someone, they've been unsuccessful, now they're looking back at the play. I mean, I, I highlighted one, I just completely random, I was watching the game and charting, and I was like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. On one play, there were four guys looking back, four of the linemen looking back. Now, Stephen Carr on this this particular play had made the first guy miss. USC's running backs are good enough to make the first guy miss almost every time. You know, th- it's very rare that just one guy is going to bring those guys down. Now, that guy may you may make that guy miss and you run into another tackle. That happens sometimes, but they aren't going to make that first guy miss. But the offense line is not helping them out at all. You know, as soon as they make that first guy miss, there's two other guys there. In this one particular play, there was three other guys there, and it was the only person blocking anyone was Chuma Adoga. He had his guy blocked. Everyone else was looking back at the the quarterback. Three guys had really were blocking no one. Toa Lobendon was actually holding someone, uh, not called in that game. Um, so the offensive line has to do much better. They, they're just they're not getting out in space and blocking guys well. Maybe they have to change up the you know the system. Maybe they need to do more just straight ahead blocking. I'm not sure, but they've got to change something because this group's not getting the job done. And when you can't run the ball, you're not going to help out your young quarterback. You're not going to be able to go play action very often. You know, you're not going to be able to, to take those deep shots. And if a team like Utah can leave six in the box, that means they've got the two safeties back, but they've also got you know a nickel or someone else also outside the box. Six guys, you've got five linemen. You should be able to block those guys and run away from the sixth guy. You should be able to run against six guys in the box every time, especially with the dynamic running backs that USC has and you know the linemen that they you know that are recruited, ranked really highly coming in. And you look at USC. I mean. Going into last week, I didn't check this number again either, but Anka Cedric Ware was leading the Pac-12 among any rusher with at least 30 carries in, in yards after contact. He was getting four and a half yards after contact. So that means if he's not running for five yards at least, that means he's getting hit in the backfield every play. He should be running for five or six or seven yards. If, you, if he gets touched two yards down the field, he's going to get six yards on every carry because he's, he's getting four and a half after contact every play. That tells you the offensive line is not getting their job done. They have to do better. And this is why I let you take the mic on on <laughs> on this stock down because I knew you had a lot saved up and accurately so. It, it's it's just it's unjustifiable. And the thing is, is going forward, what makes why wouldn't USC's opponents have the Utah blueprint? It worked. 
Now, I don't know if, if every opponent is going to be able to have the defensive line that can create the pressure that, that Utah had, but you know if they can do it with seven, that's perfectly fine because then you can still keep the two safeties back. That's the biggest thing is being able to keep, keep two safeties back to keep away to, to kind of ward off that deep threat that USC has you know, with Michael Pittman, Tyler Vons, or even you know, Valus Jones or Amon Ra. Those guys can get behind defenders, but if you've got a second safety there – then they can cover both sides of the field you know, with a cover two defense. You can even run some cover three with a nickel back, those type of things. That's, that's what you were seeing from Utah. They were dropping guys back, and you know they were kind of clogging up the middle too because that's kind of JT's secondary option. He likes to throw the middle. He likes to throw those, those routes to uh, Amon Ra, St. Brown, over the middle. They're clogging that up by dropping a defensive lineman back at times. They were doing some really nice things to take away what USC does best, but if USC just ran the ball, they would have gotten them out of those defense. If they'd have ran for five, six yards of carry, eventually Utah would have been like, all right, we have to change up. We have to do something different. But if you can't make them change, they're not going to. That's all I have for stock down. I'm done. Heard it on the sideline. What do I you mean, got? I could talk about Neil Calloway and everything he had to say in that conversation, but you can check all that out and my story online. On uscfootball.com. Yeah, plug, plug. plug. Uh, I had just, just one. Uh, it seemed like... Wednesday's practice was definitely better than Tuesday's. And it seemed like there's a little bit more fire from the team on Wednesday. Um, Iman Marshall is someone who has been relatively quiet so far this season. Um, he kind of is just a guy who is, is puts his head down and, and does his work during practice. But he was kind of fired up during uh, seven on seven and one on one battles. And sometimes you need that fire from your veteran guy. Um, I know, uh, Thump Belton, I believe is his name. He's a assistant, uh, Strength coach, assistant strength coach. He was really fired up, yelling at people. I mean, he always yells at people. He's definitely a motivator, but he was just really motivated. And I and I think he got into it a little bit as kind of a joke with Ronnie Bradford. But he was like, "This isn't Syracuse. This is USC." And of course, uh, Thumb went to Syracuse. But it's just interesting seeing a little bit more fire from this team because, like I said earlier, this is a fork in the road. They can turtle up and, and go home, or they can try and turn around and, and save their season. And so far, I think Wednesday was encouraging in that sense. Yeah, definitely. I, I thought, it, I mean, they need some fire. They need they need change. They need emotional change. They need schematic change a little bit too. But emotional change can do so much for a team. It's 18 to 21-year-old, 18 to 22-year-olds. You give them something to rally around, they can be become completely different things, I mean, completely different players. Uh, so I just think that they need something to happen, whether it's, you know that that walk on on the sideline that is going to get everybody fired up because he's you know he's that emotional guy or whatever whatever it needs to be they need something to rally around and uh, you know maybe it's a Gen A uh, you know being the guy being a little bit more vocal with the group I mean he just went through a thing I know Marvell Tell said he was you know just kind of baffled that a Gen A Harris would go on this trip after his father passed away on Friday you know he, he gets on the plane goes with the team. And he's like, wow, I've got to play hard because he's coming on this trip. Maybe that can be the rally. I don't know what it had. They need something to rally around. And right now their play is not worth rallying around. They need something uh, emotional. Agreed. Agreed for sure. I mean, one of the hurdles that that was passed along, I guess, uh, from Chris Reno, since he was on the field uh, this game, since I did not uh, not go on the trip to Utah, is on that Jay Tefele play is when he returned the touchdown – there were a lot of people that tried to run on the field and stuff, and USC. It think, was crazy. I think USC did get a penalty on the play. They for, did for a, Greg Johnson got a penalty on it. Actually. Guys on the bench came off. They took three coaches to like herd players back. They were like, "Come on, come on, come back." And then, according to Chris, he saw you know a player and coach actually get into it a little bit and had to be restrained from each other. There's a little bit of fire going on there. And, you know, the coaches are like, get on the sideline. What are you doing? And the player, some of the players are like, it's not a big deal. Why, why, are you, why is this an issue? Well, it's an issue because you're getting a 15-yard penalty. That's why it's an issue. Now, if you, once you score the touchdown, guys can run down the end zone because they kind of allow that. that like, you'll see when, you know, when Tyler Vaughn scores in the corner against Colorado – um, uh, on the USC sideline, you see Devin Williams run down there. You see some other receivers and stuff. And the referees let that go because you're going to have people coming on for the extra point and stuff. As long as you go down there after the play's over and then come back in, in a timely manner uh, you know, and clear the field, they don't really have an issue with that as long as you're not like dogpiling or something in the corner. But you can't do it in the middle of the play. Yeah. Come on. It's just... 
it's it's, it's not discipline. Hello, <laughs> since USC's playing Herm Edwards. Hello, you play to win the game. You play to win the game. <laughs> um, that's all we got for heard it. Shall we go to agree disagree? Yeah, let's go. Michael Pittman will be USC's offensive MVP again on Saturday. Ooh, um, I'm kind of seeing a breakout for Tyler Vaughn's. Michael Pitt relatively quiet so far. Yeah, he's been a little bit quiet recently. Obviously, we talked about Amon Ra being a little bit quiet as well. I think Tyler Vaughn's can break out in this game. You know, I think Michael Pittman's going to get a little bit more extra attention after the games he's put up recently. So maybe that's an opportunity for for some of the other guys to to step up. I mean, against Colorado, Tyler did have five catches for eighty six yards, but he still doesn't have his first hundred yard receiving game this season yet. So I think he might get that this week. Okay, so that's a disagree. I disagree. I'll check that. Because uh, Michael Pittman does have two in a row. 155 yards against Colorado, career high, two touchdowns, one touchdown in, on four catches for 107 against uh, Utah. And also, it wasn't just the offensive MVP, but the all-around beast mode MVP. Beast mode. Uh, we get asked this a lot, so I thought I'd throw it in because I already know your answer. <laughs> Clay Helton has lost his players. I don't think he's lost the players. I disagree. Uh, I think the players... You know, the players still fight for Clay Helton. I just think that they, it's become kind of the same message. And if you're losing, the same message is, does not get through as much. So I don't think they lost the players necessarily. I just don't think that they're giving that extra mile that you might need uh, from them. And I think, like I said, give them something to rally around, whatever it may be. Bring a special guest in. I don't know. Bring Will Farrell in to hang out with the team for a couple hours or something. I don't know. Do something different. Yeah, I don't think he's lost them. I think the defense is a little frustrated by the offense. I would agree with that, yeah. But I don't think lost is right. And as much as we always preface, Clay Helton is such a great guy, we wish him the best, and we're just the media. I'm sure his players feel that way uh, also and don't want to see him see his demise. So I don't think he's lost his players. It just, it, like you said, if you keep trying to do the same thing over and over again and it doesn't work, then I think the wheels will start I to fall. I got an agree disagree for you. Ooh, okay. Flipping the tables here. Uh, agree or disagree, be good for one of the defensive veterans, Iman Marshall, Marvell Tell, whoever it may be, to go at an offensive player like on the sideline during a game. Agree. You think it'd be good? It, okay, hold on. During a game? During a game or in the, in the locker room, whatever. Agree. Okay. I think, I, I think there needs to be more accountability on the offense. I think if you look at the the body language during the game, it seems like the offense is kind of like, oh, we didn't do it again. I mean, like Pittman is someone who who seems like he's fighting, but it just the the body language is a little weird. And granted, like guys like Tyler Vaughn's has just they have very like chill body language to begin with. He's kind of slinky. That's how I would, <laughs> I would describe him. But I just think there needs to be some more fire, and you see it. And when you walk past the benches. The defensive guys are just so into it and invested, and it's, it's a game, and it's a game plan, whereas the, the offense are kind of just like, they're just floating a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> so <laughs> There's algae in the sea. True. Uh, long-winded answer for agree. Interesting. Accountability, now, accountability now, needs to be there. Yeah, I know, but the thing with that now, if you have a situation like that, that's going one or two ways. It has to be very tactical. It that, has to be a guy that you can't get mad at, like, you can't get mad at Porter. True. And it has to be said to someone who will take it and do something with it and not. But I think it also has to be someone who's, everybody's like, oh, my goodness, he said that to. It's true. A little, there has to be shock value. Yeah, a little bit of shock value. But the, the thing is, like, that's going one, one of two ways. That's either like, oh, okay, yeah, let's just go. Or that's tearing a fabric in the entire team and you have a complete split in the locker room offense versus defense and there's not a Dory Jackson who plays both ways to mend that. <laughs> to, to be the, the stopgap? Stop to be the, the cross uh, thread. The bridge. To, to, to uh, sew Stitch it back it up. together, yes. Yeah. But you could also say that there is an invisible division right now. I think there has to be frustration. There, the frustration. defense is playing... Everybody's frustrated. When you lose, you're frustrated. Sure, but I think there's a little bit of division. A little bit. I don't know. I mean, after the Stanford game, I would have been more upset than... I think this whole season is... You give up 41 points, you, you can't be saying too much. I know the defense played pretty well, and the offense did nothing, but when you give up over 40, you can't be like, it's all your fault. True. I mean, uh, Christian Rector was asked about it, and he said, hey, if we don't let them score, we win the game. So, I mean, 
It's true. And, and credit for Christian Reiter to say that because I feel like if I was a player, I'd be like, yo, <laughs> they need to score some points. They need to get together. But I mean, the defense did score seven, so give them back that. So I guess they only gave up 40, 34. True. There's true. 34 straight. True. Ooh. Not Ooh. good at all. Uh, another spicy agree, disagree. This is the beginning. Ghost pepper spicy? <laughs> no. This is the beginning of the end for Clay Helton and his coaching staff. Ooh. Maybe the beginning's already started. Oh, putting a twist on it. Mm-hmm. it, it I mean, the offensive line plays better. It'll fix everything. I just might. It's the ultimate someone remedy because it's the ultimate someone truth. Someone needs to go and make a cut up of every time oh gosh. we've said that. Because we've said that a lot. Put it on repeat. Just over and over again. And just play it at practice. Ooh. That can be the crowd noise. Ooh. <laughs> that'd be awesome. Oh, my God. That'd be hilarious. That'd be so great. It'd be my nightmare. <laughs> oh, that'd be so great. I love hearing myself talk. <laughs> That makes one of us. Um, and you know the players wouldn't like to hear me talk. They just play better just to shut you up. Exactly. Ah. Do it. Do it. Do it. Come on, Neil. I know you're listening to this. Oh, my gosh. Um, Come on, NC. You got this. A 12.30 start is better than a 7 p.m. start. Disagree. Ooh, I don't really? like early. I don't know. We're I night would, owls. Eh, maybe like the, the 2 p.m. is better for me. I don't know that that's an actual time, but it's great for photos and stuff for me. I, I like it because of that. It's so hard to film day games. It's, oh, it's much better for photos, though. Uh, daylight's always better than nighttime. Um, even though the lighting at USC is really good, uh, it's just the crispness of photos is so much better. You have to deal with some shadows and stuff, but I prefer daytime in that regard. Yeah, I think the ideal start is five. No, nah, I'm like two. If there's a two o'clock or three, no. a 3.30 start, yeah. Maybe a four. 3.30. But yeah, no. If you are, if we're getting to the stadium when we could be eating breakfast, that's a, that's a no for me, dog. That's just, I'm out on that. We got some questions. Okay, let's go. Spencer wants to know, why doesn't USC huddle up before offensive plays? That's just kind of their, their style is to get the play calls from the sideline, which makes you wonder, you know, the way that Utah was attacking the plays, you know, what I talked about a little bit on Sunday's live show is that it seemed a little bit like they knew the plays beforehand, so maybe USC was tipping their pitches a bit in that regard, where they were kind of, sh- you know, Utah had the signs or something. Well, I don't know if it was necessarily the way USC was lining up. Maybe it's from the sidelines. You know, maybe they figured out whatever USC's play call sequence is, you know, with the different signs and whatnot. Uh, so, so maybe they were able to to steal signs that way. I remember, if you remember, a, a few years ago with Oregon and Arizona State when Todd Graham was there, Todd Graham was really good, and he was their defense coordinator. He was really good at stealing the offensive signs when they were being when they were being uh, you know passed into the game, and then he would relay relay a change the defense on on an, uh, on the field. You've seen that actually with uh, uh, Kirby. No, wait, not Kirby Smart. Who's the Tennessee coach now? Anyway, he's a defensive coordinator. You've seen him actually making adjustments right before the play, the snap uh, is happening, and you know, telling guys to blitz on, you know, see, recognizing something that the offense is doing and making a change. So, uh, you, I think, and you saw with Oregon against Ty Graham, they started putting up a big sheet, a big, uh, you know, to to kind of. It was really weird at first, but it was kind of kind of humorous. Maybe that was something that happened. Don't really know. Uh, so, uh, you know, if you're not going to go an actual hurry up. Why not huddle? I don't. I don't know why you wouldn't do that. But USC sometimes, sometimes they they go up to the line of scrimmage and then they check with the sideline. So they look and see what the defense is showing and they'll check with the sideline. So that's part of the reason why they don't. Uh, they do a check with me system. Now sometimes they just get the play and they go with it. Other times it's check with me and, and those signals are all relayed from the sideline as well. But that's just their offensive system. That's how they relay the the play calls in. Uh, Spencer wants to know would it help if they did that. Uh, if the other team is actually stealing their signs, yes, obviously. You yeah. Know, if they don't know your play call, that's better than them knowing it. Uh, but I don't think that, I don't think you've seen necessarily a lot of confusion. Like now, Tyler Vaughn's ran the, uh, you know, ran into one of the other receivers twice in the Colorado game. He told me partly was he actually jumped off sides on the first one, and Pac-12 refs, of course, they didn't call it. Um, but. It threw him off because he was trying to reset, and then he didn't get a good break off the line, and then he was supposed to be already out of that area, and he ends up running to Michael Pittman on the first one. Uh, didn't uh, the other one was just a miscommunication um, on the second one? But it's not like you see guys that are just like confused, like wait, what? What was the play? Like I don't think you see that too much. The thing that I was going to ask you if you noticed this, uh, it seems like in the past couple games there's been tr- trouble for guys to go into motion, it seems like guys either are forgetting because it seems like JT gets really frustrated because he signals and nothing really happens. And he's like in the clocks running down. He's like, yo, 
let's go. And and sometimes guys don't do that. And 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 granted, I think multiple plays I've seen Devin Williams do that, and that's a freshman who maybe is is struggling a little bit. But it it seems like there's a problem getting guys into motion lately. Yeah, that's interesting. That is actually a good point that you point out there, uh, because that has been something where there's motion and. JT's like calling for it a couple times before it happens. Now I, I kind of wonder, I do not know this at all. I had to talk to him separate. If he has the option to run guys in motion, because at least with Amon Ra, because some of the times it's been Amon Ra, it's like, Hey, c- come on. Uh, and he'll motion him right back in the same spot is just because he's checking the defense to see, uh, you know, if it's man coverage or zone coverage, if the defense will give it away uh, based on their alignment with a little bit of motion. Sometimes they do that. And and that's something that's like an old Madden trick where, you know, on the video game, you, you can't you originally you couldn't hide your defenses. So you would send a guy in motion be like, OK, that guy's running with him. You know, it's man coverage. So then you would, you know, base your uh, where you're looking on the play off of that or where it's whether it's zone coverage. So maybe he has that connection with Amon Ross, so he'll move him and move him back type of thing uh, but I think with some of the other receivers I think there is a little bit of, of that so will that help if they were in a huddle I'm sure that would help a little bit just because then you could tell the guy exactly in the huddle hey this is what you're supposed to do but I, I think that's partly just some young guys having some inexperience yeah uh, we have a question from Jackson. Uh, we didn't get to cover this, of course, because we didn't podcast last week. But Port Augustine uh, is out his uh, for the rest of the season and the rest Stock of his career. Down. The final stock down for Port Augustine. He said, "What will Port Augustine's legacy be?" Unfortunately, it'll be the injuries at USC. Now he could go on and have a great US. I mean, a great NFL career. Uh, you think back at some of the the players that haven't done terrific at USC have been really really good. Like Anthony Munoz, he wasn't you know, just the unworldly player that he became in the NFL at USC. He was really, really good, but he just took it to another step in the NFL. Porter Gustin could easily do that. And if he has a couple of injury-free seasons in the NFL, people will forget about these last two years as far as being injury-prone and stuff. I mean, he had the 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 foot-toe injury, and that really set him back last year and really, you know, hampered him throughout the entire season. And then this year, it's, it's I mean, I don't think that it's, I don't think he's necessarily injury prone like some people want to say because he had gone through his freshman and sophomore years with the only thing being like a broken knuckle, um, which you know probably was him just punching some guy in the helmet. I don't know. Seems like something he would do. Punching a bear or something. He probably <laughs> broke a knuckle that way. Uh, but you know he was healthy his first two seasons. He, he his sophomore year he played 800 snaps, which is a, a lot of snaps for a, a pass rusher. Um, so. I think that he can easily put that behind him. His USC legacy, though, will be remembered as that, unfortunately. Really? I I also think maybe his quote-unquote injury-prone stigma is different if if USC's uh, medical staff maybe or or maybe it's a coaching staff. Maybe they shut him down when he should be shut down if they have a pitch count, actually stick to it. You know, I, I... it makes me wonder, especially last season, if he's handled differently. What does that season look like? How does his trajectory? Look, what does his trajectory look like? You know, I I don't necessarily think it's fair to put that completely on Port Augustine, but I think I think his legacy is being a really mountain man or power lifter. Well, if if like it follows on that there's a core group of people that follow like his teachings or whatever it is in the weight room, then yeah, then that would become his legacy. But I think right now it's just the injuries. Unfortunately. So Stephen Poway says, would Jack Sears slash a different quarterback provide a spark to USC's offense? Could this potentially be a good thing to have a different quarterback on Saturday? If indeed, uh, uh, JT Daniels cannot play. Definitely could. Um, will it? Uh, I don't know. I will see. I mean, I would rather have JT Daniels just because he's the guy that won the quarterback competition if he's healthy. Um, and he's the guy that you have trusted in the offense throughout rather than starting a first-time quarterback. Anytime you start a first-time quarterback, it's not ideal. Even if it's a talented guy like JT starting his first game, you weren't like, oh, yeah, great, JT's going to throw for 500 yards. And you're like, well, we'll see what the freshman can do. Even Sam Darnold lost against Utah his first start game as a starter. True. I USC just, does not play well at Utah. It's true. I, I just don't think... I think fans kind of hope that this is going to be like a Max Brown, Sam Darnold situation where suddenly it's completely different and there's a spark and this offense is better. I just don't think that will happen. Jack Sears and Sam Darnold did go to the same high school. San Clemente Power. I don't know. And yeah. San Clemente is coming off a great 21 to 20 victory over Mission Viejo. First year, first win in 19 years. Guess what happened? Backup quarterback came in and won the game for him. Wow. Is this an Who omen? Knows? Is this an omen? Could be. We'll see. Um, how do you think this game is going to go, Shogun? 
I think that USC wins. I think they cover the spread. I just don't have much confidence in that Arizona State team. Now, I don't have a, a ton of confidence in the USC team either, but I just think they have so much more talent. The question is, can you stop Nikhil Harry and can you stop Eno Benjamin? I don't think Manny Wilkins is great. Now, hey, I said the same thing about – I thought I said Tyler Huntley, and I got several tweets about this during the game, that, that Tyler Huntley wasn't good with pressure in his face. He was the best quarterback in the nation, I think, last week with pressure, uh, facing pressure. He was really good last week. He looked really good in that game. But, again, I think it was because USC got tired. He didn't look really good early in the game. Um, so, and I got several tweets about that. I think the same thing about Manny Wilkins. Well, not the same thing, but I, I don't think Manny Wilkins is a great quarterback. I think he's a very good college quarterback. Um, I think he's a guy that can lead your program, but it's not going to lead you to anything tremendous. Uh, he's going to get you a bowl game every year, but he's not taking you to a, a New Year's Day bowl game type of thing. I think he's one of those quarterbacks. You know, he could be, you know, I think he's a lesser Cody Kessler. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't think he's as good as Cody Kessler. I okay. I just think this is a win for ASU. I think it's twenty eight twenty one. ASU wins, not because and you don't believe me, but it's not because I think ASU is some world beater. I think they just present challenges that match up well with USC. I don't believe in USC's offense to put in long drives, sustained drives, and ASU's defense forces you to do that. They have confusing blitzes. Their front will give USC some problems. And I just don't trust USC's offensive line. And I don't trust, if you can't trust the offensive line, you can't trust them to sustain drives. I don't think this will be a good matchup in that sense. Yeah, and I don't think USC's defense is a good matchup for ASU's offense either. Because USC has shown they can take away one or two players. They did it against Colorado, taking away LaVisca and taking away uh, uh, McMillan as well. I think ASU has two quali- really good players on offense in Nikhil Harry and Eno Benjamin. I don't think the rest of it is that great. I just maybe we have a six three game. That would be a Herm Edwards special. That's an NFL score. <laughs> six to five. Oh, that'd be a great score. Whoa, but I don't think that's gonna happen. All right, you heard us. USC would have to be able to run the ball a little bit better for it to be six five. That's true. Very true. <laughs> All right, we're gonna wrap it up. That's shotgun spraddling. I'm Keely Orr. We'll see you guys next week. Be- Oh, no pieces when you lose. Yeah, that's a fun fact. If you actually listen this far, Shotgun only says peace at the end when USC wins. So, no peace. No wins, no peace. (laughs) We'll see you guys next week.